Welcome on to the Women Make Podcast, the podcast that puts women in the forefront. In each episode, I interview a successful woman entrepreneur who shares their personal story, experiences, and tips for aspiring makers. Today is the very first episode, and my guest is Kate Kendall. Kate is British, but she lived in Australia since she was 10. In 2010, she left a job as a digital director of a magazine company and headed to San Francisco. There, she worked for different startups, then did some consulting in freelance while being semi-nomadic. In 2011, she created The Fetch, a tech city guide, then Cloud Pips in 2014, a marketplace to hire freelancers. Among other things, she is also a writer, an advisor, and she has been involved in various communities. With Kate, we talked about what it's like to be a woman founder, how to find a work-life balance, especially when you work with your husband, loneliness and freedom in entrepreneurism, and also how women can lead the change in the tech industry. Just a side note before starting, I had some issues with my earphones to record, so sometimes the audio is not perfect, but I promise I will improve this for the next time. Now I will let you hear my conversation with Kate and I hope you like it. Hi Kate, thanks a lot for uh, accepting my invitation and being the first guest of the Women Make podcast. No problem, I'm really excited to be on it and it's so great what you've created with Women Make so far. I think it's a fantastic community. Well, thanks a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm excited too. Um, so in the introduction, uh, I made a brief summary of your career, but I'd love to talk a bit about your early times and although I didn't mention it in the introduction, your background is in science and marketing, right? However, you started by working for a magazine. And what led you to start a career in journalism? Yes, yeah, so I was doing an undergraduate in science and then through that time, I was kind of doing it because I thought I did, should do it. You know, it's the whole kind of college thing where you end up going and you're trying to find out what you want to do. And, I just kind of feel like I, I chose science because that's what um, you know people in my family had done before, and um, so I was studying microbiology and biotechnology, and then um, from there I kind of started getting really interested, and I was working at a retail in Melbourne, and started getting really interested in um, buying. So you know I was going to do buying retail. It sounds like all over the place, but it did kind of lead me to magazines because one of the ladies who worked at the place um she went on maternity leave and I started doing marketing for her and so um, by doing marketing and PR I started interfacing with a lot of journalists and then at that same time um, I was doing my master's in uh, marketing and so um, I started kind of getting really into um, journalism and then I got my first role which was as an editorial assistant 
for consumer magazines. Um, one of them was a bridal magazine, which was kind of funny. And then um, from there, I went to work at Marketing Mag and I was their online editor and feature writer. And after about a year with them, I became the digital director of the magazine publishing company. And it was at a really interesting time because it was when a lot of um, newspapers and magazines were moving from print to online and struggling with that uh, next phase of media, which is, as you've seen, like a lot that's happened online. So it was a really pivotal time and I really enjoyed um, working as a journalist and um, writing. It was amazing opportunity. I got to interview people like Marissa Mayer at Google, um, people at Microsoft. It was just really, really fantastic opportunity and exposed me a lot to um, the industry. And then that's how I got into tech as well. Yeah, and after working in the media industry, so you were in Australia, but then you left to San Francisco. What do you think so many people want to get there and did you find what you were expecting to find? Yeah, so I, um, in about 2009, I fell in love with San Francisco remotely. I used to follow a, a blog called San Francisco Girl by Bay. So it wasn't just the tech community that was attracted to San Francisco. It was also like the landscape and the, the heritage and the culture of the city. And so I went there first in 2010. I quit my job and um, in Melbourne and just kind of went to check out the tech community. And the early tech community in San Francisco was fantastic. It was, there wasn't really like, I guess, much tech community back in Australia. There weren't really startup events or anything like that. So um, being in San Francisco in the early days was really great for finding a tribe. And then I was there on and off until only recently. And I do believe in your question, I did find what I was looking for, but I guess I found so much more in that um, I have kind of started to become a champion of the indie way. And one of the things I kind of like to say is like goodbye Silicon Valley, because um, now as the world's evolved, it's, it's so not as important to be in Silicon Valley or San Francisco Bay Area anymore. There's so much opportunity everywhere and I love that the world has evolved um, and there's more potential, you know, now I'm back in Australia. I've also um, spent some time in Berlin and in the UK where I was born. So it's it's just kind of changed how everything works. So yes and no, I guess, in terms of finding that thing. All right. And that's uh, after living in San Francisco where you you founded the Fetch and Cloud Pips. And I think at some point in your life, you, you had to make a choice between your two companies and you decided to put the fetch on hold. I wonder, how did you make that choice and why? Yeah, it's, it was kind of a really tough choice because in 2014, it was a kind of killer year for me because um, not only did I raise some money for my company Cloudpeats, but I also did a crowdfunding campaign for the fetch and raised Um, over 50k to that and um, as I had I guess at first I, I wanted to have more of the you know cloud peeps um, working on both where cloud peeps was my my job and then the fetch was almost like this um, side project but I did get a bit of pushback from um, some investors they like you know the thing about San Francisco or the Silicon Valley style of things is it's that you must have one one focus and Um, you know, one one kind of persona. It even goes as so far, I think, that you can't even have much of a life. You know, it's it's all about you've got to be married to one yeah. company. So unfortunately, I 
did work on the fetch a little bit and we did launch an app but it's it's a project that I'd like to bring back um and I you know still say every year I'm like I want to see the fetch back because I still get to this day weekly emails from people saying they miss it so I think now um what I've done is I've started a new company called Indie Labs and part of that ethos is that hey you don't have to do things in a um, binary way it's not all or nothing you don't have to do the growth at all cost startup and and not have a side project or as I used to I used to maintain an active blog like I let all that drop when I was doing um, the kind of Silicon Valley way so um, that is kind of why but um, part of the future I hope is that you can kind of pick up projects and put them down as needed yeah Because you, you could have uh, dropped it, but you said you wanted to work on it again. Because uh, yeah. I, I read you had acquisition offers for the fetch, but you could have accepted one, but you, you wanted to keep it. Yeah, so we did get, um, I had like a lot of people that would come up to me and talk about, um, you know, acquisition offers. But it's different in an acquisition offer because the fetch was a smaller scale. So it's they're kind of almost in the media it does industry it does depend on because I say the fetch is like media tech so it kind of depends on the size of the audience and you know often it would be about how many email addresses and things like that that you have so um, it is something that I still think potentially could grow and get acquired in the future but again it's about like having to um, I think nurture something and nurture it through to um The, the kind of toddler phase through to the teenage phase and then once it's kind of found its rhythm then I think that's when a good time is to to kind of pass it on to someone else okay I see just before you said you you worked a lot you were married to your company uh, according to you the hardest thing about being an entrepreneur is the loneliness you said mm. it's easier today since there are more communities and spaces for founders How did you deal with it back then when there were, were not all these communities? And is that what led you to create, animate and contribute to various communities later? Definitely. I think this was something that I yeah, struggled with because in the early days when I would um, go to like events, right, like tech events, I'd often be like the only woman there and Um, sometimes would get people go, why are you even here? You know, oh, you sound like you know what you're talking about. Like, who are you kind of thing? So I did find it quite um, lonely as well being like a female founder in the early days and didn't really have um, that tribe. And so um, part of that was one of the things I wanted to start was like a um, program called Women Hack, which was um, going to kind of solve that. So there were things where I was trying to, kind of solve my own problem and um, the fetch was also part of that like bringing people together and finding different events on and trying to um, yeah like connect with people in, a, in an authentic way and learn stuff at the same time so um, I think that that was a huge kind of part of it but I was lucky enough to um, when I was kind of um, traveling or moving around and starting this is that I was working with my Um, now husband Matt a lot so we had each other at least I think that was a big big thing so as we were taking those risks or we were we were moving into new cities um, that company was there and for a while we were also you know digital nomads so we were um, working remotely and I think that can add to that isolation as well as you kind of don't have that local support network 
and I still think to this day it's hard to have that support network because um, I'm now in my early 30s but uh, people start to kind of um, you know kind of have little time because they've got families and commitments and so when you're an entrepreneur you're still taking that 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 risk that time you're still striving some for something that is kind of outside the box and I think that in itself can feel isolating because you have to find a, a sense of belonging um, somewhere that is your space and somewhere a tribe that can nurture you and it's not always the case when there's not that many entrepreneurs around you or people taking risks yeah I, I agree with you I think mm. uh, the the only people you can really feel uh, good with about this is with other entrepreneurs you don't really have a choice I mean yeah. you don't have not to see other people but uh, so they can understand what you're living Yeah, exactly. And I think unless you've really done it, you don't really know what it's like, like until you've kind of quit your job or taken that responsibility of creating your own paycheck. Um, you can't really describe it. You know, I think that a lot of people who haven't done that might not realize how stressful it is and, um, you know, how much effort it takes. And um, even when you've had like a bit of semi success, like I've had a lot of press in the past and I did raise money and all this stuff. Um, you're still misunderstood. You know, it's never like there's mm. an end result. It's it's always going to be a tough pathway and a lot of pathways that are um, respected. You know, it's not about going to, you know, cr create a new company that no one knows what you do and, um, you know, what the name is. It, you, you get like a lot more accolades sometimes just taking a job at Google and that kind of thing. So I think it doesn't matter even... As, as much as I've gone through that kind of entrepreneurial journey and had different experiences, it still feels like I'm always starting over again and um, not proving myself because after a while you don't have to, I think if you can get into the flow and you love what you're doing, it's less about validation from others or proving yourself. But I think just to continue to do it and continue to show up each day um, takes effort and energy and um, you need to be kind of really committed to it. And that's, That's something where I say like entrepreneurship isn't for everyone. It is a hard pathway. It is very challenging. Even people who become freelancers, you know, they quit the kind of full-time workforce and create a business or an agency. That can be tough enough. Um, and if you're creating something where you might not have a proven business model or it's not been done before, you know, you're, you're taking additional risk on. And um, there's a fine line as well between success and failure. And so um, you can have such high highs and low lows, but Um, you just have to personally keep wearing it and, and taking one step, you know, ahead each day. I see. Yeah. And what was it to work? You were, so you were an entrepreneur, you were nomadic for some time, nomad, and you were also working with your husband. So was it hard to maybe find your, your way of working and living together? Yeah, definitely. And I, I still think we haven't got it exactly sorted now. <laughs> It's a definite process. I think when I started out and um, we started working together, it was a huge no-no. Everyone would say, you know, oh, you, you don't work with your partner and um, it's a really bad idea. Um, but, you know, over time, there's been a lot of success stories, such as like Inventbrite and there's a whole host of companies that have been from from husband wives or partners that have worked together. So, I, I think I've seen a lot of actual female founders, some of the most successful ones ended up working with um, their, their partners. So I, I think that it can be done. I think it is about creating a balance. 
um, it is hard to ever switch off. You know, if you're ever talking about stuff that happens in life, sometimes you can bring the work stuff in as well. So um, one thing is, I think Matt's like one of my best friends and I have so much time and respect for him and I value his opinion. So I think that's really helped, like having a really good friendship as well. We we met actually working together. He was, uh, you know, he's a software engineer. So we met at a tech conference. So uh, it's kind of grown out of all of that. And I think that's important um, to have that kind of solid foundation of friendship and respect. And then working together and um, being in a relationship is is the, the stuff on top of that as well. Um, but I think it is definitely a balance and it's not for everyone. And I think you sometimes have to have clear um, boundaries and roles as well. So um, in Cloud Peeps, for instance, I'm CEO and Matt's more of a CTO. So um, the more that we can have like autonomy on decisions and come together to discuss things. But um, knowing that, yeah, at the end of the day, my, you know, sometimes my decision might uh, um, be final more. And then sometimes he's got you know, more of that as well that he can add. So I think it can really help if you, you set the structure up right as well. Yeah. Speaking uh, of balance, you used to, to work a lot. We can even say too much to yeah. the point you were burnt out in yep. 2013. So I guess and I hope you have a mm. healthier lifestyle now. But mm. um, I wonder how you made the shift to find a proper work-life balance? And is that something you're still working on? Yeah, that's a great thing. So with my first company, The Fetch, um, I would often, you know, and again, I think it's also different because I was in my mid-20s then, but I would work like till 4 a.m. I would work weekends. I would work all the time. I was almost like it's, uh, you know, addicted to your startup. You know, you love, love talking about it, love thinking about it and all those kind of things. And so um, with my second company, I wanted to have a lot more structure. So the first company was almost like a baby and the second company was like a job. So, you know, approaching it like a job, I, I didn't really want to work weekends. I wanted, uh, because I had a team, I had to make the most of um, working with the team during business hours. So it was almost by having people that were, um, you know, that you're working with, there's having that structure almost helped me have more boundaries with my own life. So um, I started kind of working more business hours, still long weeks and everything like that. But um, for the last couple of years, um, yeah, most of the weekends I haven't been working um, and I definitely think I have more balance now. And I've taken it even to the next level where with um, Indie Labs and the kind of my day now is um, I will kind of allow myself to do things that are not work related during business hours. And that was ultimately the get goal when I started out to be, um, you know, founder as I wanted freedom. I wanted to kind of escape the nine to five. And if, you know, you wanted to go for a walk during the day or go um, do some laundry or whatever, it's not that you, you had to not do it. And I think we've seen the rise of flexibility with remote work and tools like Slack. They've aided that. Um, but I just wanted to be focused on productivity. So now I'm kind of setting myself goals that I want to achieve and then I'm working on those goals and it's less about filling the hours. And, you know, almost the dream would be to create so many um, or like products and services that make a difference, but they also bring in income that's more passive so I can spend my time giving back or um, more community focused. So 
I think you have to ask yourself the style of how you like working as well. Um, and that can be even with, you know, hours, it can be location, it can be with a team, with not a team, you know, there's lots of different ways that people can work. Um, and I think it's about finding the balance for you um, and what brings you energy as well. A lot of it is just energy management. It's um, making sure that you you can kind of create and that you don't burn out. And, um, you know, you've just got to kind of do what you want to do as well in there. Not everyone has that luxury, but I think if you can create a schedule where you get to do and work how you want and have that freedom, it's brilliant. And I think a lot of indie makers are interested by finding freedom. <laughs> yeah, and but you know that's the thing. It's a, I love the indie movement because it's about like the impact over um, the hours. It's about creating things for um, that are profitable for the longer term that can um, sustain themselves. That you know means that you can have a family too. You can do all these things. I think it's very different from the growth at all cost model, which is there's this one myopic view of success. And if you don't like look a certain way or you don't work a certain way, you're not successful. And that simply isn't true. I remember you said something about uh, growth at uh, all costs. And um, you said women CEOs and uh, female founders were particularly well-placed to lead this change. Why do you think so? I think that um, there's a kind of history of Silicon Valley and, um, you know, venture capital going to men. And I think the latest um, results came out even this week, which was showing like 2% of maybe all capital goes to women. And I found through my experience of fundraising that, um, you know, that it was very backwards. Like it was kind of an old school way, the kind of stuff that you'd be told or the expectations that were on you or even noticing that you're a female founder it came up a lot. Like when I grew up, I didn't really ever think, oh, I'm a woman and I've got problems because I'm a woman and it's going to be harder for me. You know, I grew up in the, the 80s. It was like, oh, you're going to, in the 90s, it was like abundance thinking. And then as soon as I started kind of getting into tech and doing startups, I realized like, hey, actually, this is a huge problem. Like being a woman has a lot of disadvantages in these kind of industries. Um, And, uh, you know, just weird comments. And it doesn't even stop once you've raised money. Like I've had a couple of investors suggest that I shouldn't have kids or I should delay having kids and things like that. So I think that the, you know, that having that balance as a woman is a conversation that's been going on for, for decades. But I think with startups, it's even more pronounced because it's like you have to, you know, choose the growth at all cost model and sacrifice Um some things whereas in indie style is more about okay well why don't we focus on taking controlled capital if we're going to raise um, money so I'm not going to go and hire too many people that I you know my company can't afford it I'm going to grow responsibly I'm going to have an ethical um, approach to things I'm going to focus on profitability rather than just like poor unit economics so if you make all these kind of foundational decisions to create a good business Um, then you should be able to take that time as needed to do other things in your life as well. And I've, I've just noticed that a lot more with the indie movement because it isn't about, um, you know, it's about creating things that actually are businesses and um, can still grow and scale to be bigger businesses, but um, it's not, it's an even playing ground. And I think also that it's, it's new school. Like I, you know, was using, The, the people in the indie movement, it's new school. It's about changing things for the better. It's about working in a way 
um, that makes sense and automating what you can and staying lean when you can. So you just have a lot more freedom and flexibility. And especially as women start to look to have families, like freedom and flexibility is huge. Yeah. Entrepreneurism is, um, is already a, a pretty hard thing. Is, I mean, it's even harder for women like you just said before, what people can tell you in, in the tech industry and in the startup industry. Uh, so it's even harder. And is there a particular moment when you told yourself, this is it, I'm an entrepreneur? Or is that something that can little by little, are you doubting sometime? Oh, yeah, I think that's a great question because, you know, the first kind of entrepreneur that I ever knew was Richard Branson. And I always think it's funny because his style of entrepreneurship is very like extroverted. It's, you know, planes and traveling the world and, um, you know, doing lots of events and spent, you know, it's a bit like high roller lifestyle, right? So I was never attracted to that. Like I think Richard Branson's done an amazing job and obviously contributed a lot to entrepreneurship, but it was never something that I looked at and said, Oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. And um, really, like, uh, when I started out, I didn't kind of go and do an entrepreneurship degree or try and think of myself as an entrepreneur. Um, it was really when I started to create a few meetups. So I created one of the first, like, tech or digital meetups in Melbourne. And that was kind of a way to almost like experiment creating a community or, or something. It's the first thing I kind of created. And then I was like, oh, wow, like, this is great. This is what basically entrepreneurship is. So it kind of came out of servicing a community and then with the fetch again. Um, so I started that and it, you know, really it was about helping people. So I, I call myself a curator. And then as time went by, I slowly thought, Oh, you know, I'm more of a founder. And then it kind of grew into being a founder and then a startup founder and then, you know, a tech company founder. And now, um, you know, I have been CEO of tech companies. So, um, that's when I'm like definitely count myself as an entrepreneur now and have multiple kind of entrepreneurial experiences and starting a few other things as well. So it wasn't, it kind of happened gradually. And um, I think now sometimes that like, you have to earn, I guess the label, like in terms of taking those risks and um, maybe starting a couple of things, I think you can kind of really call yourself an entrepreneur, but um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's kind of like a, something that you can see in someone else when you know they've also done taken that risk and started something and put themselves out there um, and danced that fine line between success and failure I think it's it's definitely something that's admirable I always admire other founders for for taking those risks too um, so yeah and I think now there's lots of examples of amazing like female entrepreneurs female tech entrepreneurs people who have really done that and Um, so it's a lot different um, now when people can see themselves in someone else. And I think it's so important to be able to see someone who's done something um, that is similar to you because you then realize that you can do that too and it's accessible to you and you don't have to, you know, be a certain way to be an entrepreneur um, or anything. You know, it's, it's, it's really kind of um, helps, I think, other people unlock and um, their kind of potential as well. Yeah, you gave a kind of a definition of an entrepreneur, but in the end, you can be define what entrepreneur you are. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, um, yeah, the more that we kind of expand the definition of entrepreneurship or even tech entrepreneurship, 
um, you know, startups, all of this stuff, uh, I think that it's great because it means that more people can get involved and it's not about, you know, being a Zuckerberg clone or whatever it is that means that you are, you know, you're an entrepreneur. So, um, yeah, I think I think just, you know, get out there, roll the sleeves, make something, create something and you're an entrepreneur. You don't need to you know study it or you don't need to to do it. You can be an entrepreneur tomorrow. It's just like the mindset. Stuff making. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I read you, you said the business journey can also be a spiritual journey and I totally agree with you. Um, how do you think your entrepreneur path affected your personal life and what do you think you learn about yourself? Yeah, so I think that um, entrepreneurship has its sacrifices first and foremost and a lot of times um, that can just be even social sacrifice and it can be financial but In terms of social, you know, if you are spending your time working on companies and you're spending less time, um, you know, in your personal life, that means that obviously you're not going to have kind of invested as much time in areas that other people have. So um, entrepreneurs, you know, might have they might have, you know, a really nice friendship group and support group and family, but it might not have been nurtured as if you know, if that was their full time thing. So Um, sometimes I, I think that, yeah, entrepreneurship can be that so social sacrifice. Um, financial, you know, if you take a job and you work in that job for 10, 20, 30 years, um, you can kind of slowly um, climb that financial ladder and um, invest and, you know, buy houses and do whatever you want um, with it, pay off your student debt, things like that. So um, that's something that if you are pouring money back into your businesses, Uh, you're not going to be looking at uh, finance, like linear financial progression in the same way as if you had a stable source of income. And I think that's also, you know, something that is a misconception with entrepreneurship because people often think about it as a getting rich, you know, it's like they get into entrepreneurship as such to, to make money. And, um, you know, often it's not the case. A lot of people, even if you end up creating a company that IPOs, by the time that you might have diluted your equity down, Um, you might have a, you know, a reward, but it might not be completely life-changing. Um, so it, it's not a guaranteed way to make a lot of money. So I think, um, yeah, financial, there's been times when I've earned more money when I was working um, in jobs than I have as an entrepreneur. So I think um, as more people chat to other founders as well, that, even the most successful founders might not be earning a lot of money. So their wealth might be tied up in their companies and their assets. So I think that's something that people should keep in mind as well. Um, and it also depends on the kind of entrepreneurship you do. Like if you start, um, you know, events or you're doing an agency or something like that, it's much easier to, I guess, make money um, because it's more of a traditional path than if you're creating like a new SaaS company that, needs volume to really succeed so um yeah it's the type of thing but i think a lot of, like a lot of the stuff that i think is really exciting is when you are creating something that's not been created before around the world and that's when you know it's a can be a big um sacrifice there's also health in there as well you can take a physical and mental health um there are a lot of dark sides to entrepreneurship when we've spoken about you know that isolation and that loneliness 
Um, I think a lot of founders, they have an immense weight on their shoulders. You know, you're responsible if you have a team for their their wellness, their finances, there's a lot of pressure. So I think that's something that as you start to scale, it's asking yourself, you know, it's not only if you'll fail, but what if you succeed? And what are the responsibilities that would come with that success? And often that pressure is just massive. So I think that's also been at times when, you know, it's been incredibly stressful dealing with the pressure. And um, especially as a CEO, like you have so much stuff that you have to balance legal operations. It's not just about creating a product and marketing it. There's a lot more behind the scenes as well. Recently, you started working on a new project, Indie Labs. Mm -hmm. Could you talk about it a bit? Yeah, so one of the things in the past through kind of the Fetch and Cloud Peeps experience is um, I learned that, you know, I just say having an operational overhead. So you, you start one company, then you start another, then you're doing, you know, tax operations, accounting legal for those different companies. And so um, it just became kind of like very cumbersome. And uh, even though, you, you know, I, with Cloud Peeps, it is its own um, entity. But part of in the future, I, was, I wanted to kind of create a parent company, a company that is um, the lab, so to speak, and then um, create products, services, communities out of that one um, kind of operational entity and go from there. So it's 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 a way, an ethos, It's I'm calling it like an experimental product and services labs where I can create tools and products, communities, anything, um, and uh, spin them up. And it's less about creating new companies and, um, you know, trying to do it, uh, trying to kind of formalize it too much. So I, I think there's been models before like Betaworks in the US that have done something similar. Um, and uh, I think it's a great way to go about doing things. Basecamp was also one with 37 signals and then recently they focused back on Basecamp but I think it's a great way to kind of start um, different products and services and see which really grow and then double down on the ones that are growing and then if it doesn't work out it's quite easy to to shut down the ones that aren't working as well. Finally I'd like to know if you have particular advice for aspiring entrepreneurs, especially women. Is there something you wish you knew when you started all this? I think the biggest thing would be to really stay true to you and listen to your gut because you get a lot of advice and you get a lot of, um, you know, uh, pointers on the right way to do it or you should do this. There's a lot of shoulds and... Um, I think at the end of the day, you've just got to do what your heart and your gut tell you to do. You can listen to data. You can take that advice on board. Like you've got to be coachable, but you've just got to follow your instinct as well. Uh, and, um, you know, just just really be passionate about what you're doing. I see some founders, they get, you know, they start working on something and they realize it's not scalable. So they start working on something else and then they end up like, you know, building a sales CRM and they're like, I never, you know, started, I'd never even wanted to build a sales CRM and now I'm doing a sales CRM and I don't, I'm not passionate about it, you know, so you can get kind of pushed in certain directions. And I think especially as a woman, because we, we try to be polite, we try to be people pleasers, we try to accommodate. So there's lots of experiences where I would listen to everyone and try and please them. 
And at the end of the day, you end up not pleasing yourself. And that's the, the tricky part because life is really short. And especially your entrepreneurship years, I think that you can create over many decades. But, you know, I think 20s, 30s, 40s, they're like great years to be an entrepreneur. So you really want to make the most of them. And, and uh, you know, if one company takes five to 10 years, um, you know, you've got a few shots of working on stuff that you really want to. So just don't waste any time, I think, getting off your pathway. And if you do get off your pathway and things aren't working out how you hoped, um, never be afraid to just start all over again and um, to really kind of get back into to what you really want to do. So sometimes it's about just really listening to your gut and, um, you know, not not caring about what other people think um, and just following you what you think is to be right. And of course, yes, taking on other people's um, advice and experience, but you've got to be bullish on something. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for answering my questions, Kate. Where people can find you? Um, well, they can tweet me um, at, at Kate Kendall or um, if they're, you know, questions through the Women Make um, Telegram channel, I'm often in there. So just feel free to tag me and... Um, Yeah, they can email me via my Indie Labs email as well, which is indielabs.co. So check out the contact form there. Perfect. Thanks again, Kate, and see you soon. Okay, thank you again for having me. Thank you for listening to this first episode. If you want to share any feedback with me or send me guest suggestions, you can pin me on Twitter or reach me at marie at womanmake.com. By the way, don't forget to leave me a five-star rate or a review on iTunes. It helps me a lot to make this podcast more visible. Anyway, thank you everyone and see you on another episode.